Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, I interviewed John Chang, Global Head of Shopping Growth Marketing at Klarna, the most valuable private fintech company in Europe with a market cap that now exceeds $10 billion. Klarna is an app that allows shoppers to shop now and pay later, and then they have a number of other services layered on top that help make it a smooth shopping experience. So John and his team have really helped to make a big push in the U.S. over the last year, and he explains what they've done, taking a very data-driven and test-driven approach to driving growth. And then John also talks about how the company transitioned from exclusively working through retail partners to adding a direct-to-consumer growth engine in just the last couple of years. So really interesting story. But before we jump into it, I wanted to ask you to check out gopractice.io. That's the immersive simulator that I built with Oleg Yakubenkov, a former data scientist from Facebook. It's all about learning growth. So think about how a flight simulator is really impactful for pilots to learn how to fly planes. This is a simulator for learning how to grow a business. You're working with real data and amplitude to make decisions. You're going through a scenario. We've got built-in mentoring. We've got weekly sessions that we're checking in. It's a, it's a really great way to learn growth. So check that out at gopractice.io. And now let's jump in with John Chang from Klarna. Hey, John, welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on and, and tell the Klarna story. It's uh, it's a, probably the most exciting story that, that no one has heard much about. And, you know, to, to be honest, I, I really prefer companies that don't have a ton of hype around them, but have, have really that substance of a lot of customers that are getting a lot of value. And this seems to be almost the perfect case of, of one of those types of companies. So before we really dig into how you're approaching growth and, and all of that, why don't you give us a, a quick introduction to what Klarna is, what problem you're solving? Oh, yeah, for sure. So Klarna is, first of all, a Swedish term for clarity. It's a company that was founded in Stockholm, and we make shopping simple, safe, and smooth. Smooth with three O's. That's, that's our big brand uh, thing right now. <laughs> Um, and, and it's, I mean, maybe it's cause I have a product marketing background, but I love explaining things by talking about the product first. Sure, uh, no problem. Yeah. I mean, it was, so we, this company is actually like 15 years old. And if you ask anyone in Sweden, they're like, oh, well, you know, you have a, you have a monopoly over the online shopping sphere. And then I'm doing marketing in the U S where to your point, it's, it's an uphill battle from the brand standpoint. And uh, what we do and how we entered the market just in March of 2019, which, yeah, wow, we haven't been here for that long for the right. consumer product. We have a, a mobile app that allows people to buy now, pay later anywhere. And then we're also integrated with a whole bunch of merchants to power their buy now, pay later checkout processes. Mm -hmm. And so part of... I think, what, you know, as I kind of dug into the company a bit, uh, you know, in Europe, it seems like people are much less likely to have credit cards. I, I know they have debit cards. Um, how have you found as you're, as you're in the United States, uh, 
you know, where, where people tend to have credit cards has, is the value proposition not as strong or if you had to tweak it a bit or what's, what's the difference that you're seeing there? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. Um, the, I mean, all the cult, the culture is fundamentally different. The competitive set is also fundamentally different. So we, the, the beauty though is there's 360 million Americans, so we can find our, yeah, we can find our niche in, within here. So, it, what the positioning that we've been really trying to tackle is being synonymous with shopping. And so even though we're fintech, that allows us to expand a lot, um, a lot broader. We, we talk about this internally a lot. And, and it's in our planning meetings, we ask ourselves, would a bank do this? And if so, we don't do it. it it's taken <laughs> right off the board. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where fintech can be kind of boring if you look at it simply from a bank perspective, but from, yeah, shopping, it's not boring. I mean, if you ask my wife, she would say it's the greatest thing in the world. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I may be slightly different there where I, I, I might not like it quite as much, but the, you know, the fact is that shopping is, um, is something that we all have to do. And, uh, if you can make that process easier and more enjoyable, there's, there's a huge opportunity there, which is clearly demonstrated by the $10 billion plus valuation that the, the company recently, uh, it's been reported at least, uh, with, with your most recent fundraising, which I think was just last month or at yeah, least the crazy. reporting of it. <laughs> um, had what, so you've, you've been there a little over a year, right? Yeah. I started in August of 2019. Yeah. And did you, I mean, was this like a massive step up in valuation or was it already pretty valuable? It's just people in the U S hadn't heard much about it. Uh, kind of both. So, I mean, it's like, again, the entire population of Sweden and no knocking on Sweden is the same population size as New York City. So even though having a monopoly there um, and being in the UK and the small handful of countries, winning the US is just a massive opportunity. So I started in August and that was actually right after a um, a big funding round. So I think we were around like $2.5 billion um, right when I started in terms of valuation and then, yeah, it's, so it's, it's a significant, that's increase a massive increase. Yeah. So, so, I mean, clearly, you know, a lot of businesses have been hurt by COVID. I'm, I'm assuming that the shift to online, I mean, I, I look at myself now, you know, every time you step into a brick and mortar store, you're risking, you're risking exposure. And so, you know, I mean, I, I find more and more excuses to, buy online and I already bought a lot online before. Have you found that that COVID has has added fuel to the business or is it is it just that you you're kind of more protected against COVID or or has it actually slowed it down some? It's all over. So, I mean, first and foremost, we we in our practices and our product and everything um, at our core, we are not here to be a debt trap. We are not here to um, have people buy now, pay later so they can spend beyond their means. So right when COVID hit, we actually increased um, the, I guess, like our acceptance rate criteria. Um, so you can use that product and it wasn't to be like, and, and it wasn't to be like, oh, we, we want to slow our growth, but we wanted to just make sure that we were taking people in who would spend a little more responsibly. Um, because yeah, and that's, so we, and we also implemented essentially what we've been calling internally low and grow. So you can come in and then as you continue buying, paying up and stuff like that, you can increase your buying power with Klarna. So for that matter, it did slow it down a little bit because there's just, if you're, you're whittling down the total addressable user base, but on the other side, we actually had a record amount of uh, shopping volume 
the week after the stimulus checks went out. So it's been a real wild ride. One of the things that has helped us a lot is we're so data driven, especially like that. that's a core principle for the team that uh, I'm running right now. And as we would look at the data like nearly daily and figure out what the shopping trends are, we would cater then our creative and advertising as well as our email and so forth just around that. Like beauty, beauty took off um, almost immediately. And wow, that's, so. I, I would expect the opposite. <laughs> I would well, expect sweatpants to take off immediately. <laughs> well, that was another one, athleisure. So okay. it, it, I, we were making so much. I, I'm so, I mean, it's not like I'm tired, but I'm honestly kind of tired of the term athleisure. <laughs> we were doing so much of that. Uh-huh. Uh, but I've loved looking at the trends. And then, uh, we, then we've seen a lot of millennials leave uh, big cities and either buying homes, getting cars. And so we've leaned into the home category. It, it's one of the benefits of just owning shopping as a whole. It's I've been able to look at the data, um, pivot our marketing strategy, and then look at the data and pivot. And it's it's really taxing and tiring, but I have the right team to do it. And I think that's really like jettisoned our, um, our growth during COVID. Wow. So what... What kind of uh, size of transaction do you go up to in, in, in what you're supporting? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it really depends on, so we do soft polls like all of our competitors and really most fintech companies. And it depends on um, the, I guess, like what we get back from that soft poll. And it's instantaneous. It's immediate. Um, so uh, what, sorry, what, did, what does that actually mean? Soft, oh you said soft poll? I've been in this for so long now. <laughs> I have such a hard time zooming out. I'm so sorry. That's okay. No, yeah. So, so when you um, when you're using our mobile app, um, it, it's essentially. Um, so I, I'm also totally down to talk about the growth hack that I love about this. Where we're, I'm, I'm trying not to just um, dive into it because it's a slight tangent. But essentially, Softball is when you use the product. Um, you uh, you use the product. We um, work with um, some credit organizations and then we get your credit score and things related to that um, or it processes it and then it qualifies you for a certain amount to spend within the app mm-hmm. so in in terms of like like how, i mean would somebody potentially buy a car with this or is it more yeah, kind of p- consumer goods no it's really more consumer goods uh i mean we're, we're not looking at like multi-thousand dollar items not necessarily um and then also we're also not looking at like five dollar items so there the average order value which isn't a secret um is is about like 113 115 dollars okay that makes sense and and so it's 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 those kind of li- a little bit of considered purchase but it it, it uh makes it easier to buy it and spread that that cost over a bit of time so that it doesn't quite put the dent in the wallet that it otherwise would. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is kind of our target uh, consumer behavior that we're looking for. Okay. And then, so when you and I met, when you were speaking at the Growth Hackers Conference, you were working at uh, Kickstarter and um, clearly, you know, a really successful company. You were a digital marketing director there. When you compare these two companies, uh, opportunities, these two roles, what, what do you find are kind of the things that are really similar? And is there anything that's really different between them? There's really only things that are very similar and things that are very different and nothing in between. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, well, I mean, one of the things, and I've kind of done this with all of my roles somehow, but it's it, the, it, they're both organizations that in their own community and user base ha- depend on the demand as well as the supply. And in this case, the demand for both organizations is consumers. 
And then the supply then for Klarna is merchants because we're getting commission when they're integrated. And then um, for uh, Kickstarter was the project creators. So the kind of marketing deployed to maintain the supply and demand in growth is, is similar in the approaches and kind of the mentality. What's real different, though, is um, I think just Kickstarter is a private benefit corporation. So they're held accountable for the growth of the creative community over profits. And for that reason, we actually did not focus so heavily on the consumers because, um, and we said this a bunch when I was working there, like, we don't want to be QVC. We're not there to have like the next small tech thing and then get like convinced people to buy that. Whereas at Klarna, uh, one of the big approaches that we have been driven by in 2020 is we've been calling it the Klarna Consumer Network. And so thinking about the supply and demand, especially especially with the effects of COVID on retailers like you're talking about, we are seeing that they, what they want from vendors is not just technology. They're also looking for vendors that help bring consumers to their products for e-commerce. So we, we made a strategic shift in like our business to business marketing. And instead of necessarily finding like the biggest dollar deal at the very moment, we're also keep taking consideration how many consumers that merchant has on their own, because that would fuel this Klarna consumer network. In addition to like our mobile app, which is nearing 6 million users. Wow. Yeah. So, so when you, when you, um, kind of step back. I mean, clearly like a $10 billion plus valuation is, is in a, yeah, a category of its own, especially for a private company. What, what do you think has been really the key to, to, to getting there? I mean, was it, was it, you just, just hit the right opportunity at the right time? Is it, is it partly execution? I know a lot of that initial momentum may, may have been built before you got there. Um, but I'm sure you've, you've had that question as well. And even in deciding to join the team that you, you had to have been curious about that. So what, what do you think it is that, that makes, that has propelled this to be such a valuable business? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, serendipity is part of any startup success, any company success. Um, but I think that we do a very good job of preparing ourselves for, to be lucky. And, like all the companies I've been at that uh, that I consider a success have done that same approach in a variety of ways. But the if the quick story about our growth in the U.S. is that the mobile app um, launched in March of 2019. It literally ingests the entire internet, so pe- anyone can buy anything anywhere and pay later. And that was our direct consumer offering the way we were like, well, no matter what happens, and it's kind of like throwing spaghetti against the wall, we know that we have an offering for any kind of American. And I love that as an approach and as a growth hack. I really don't see too many growth hacks that are true growth hacks using technology in that way. So we and then our brand approach is that we do branded campaigns that are temporary monopolies on communities. So in let's say like May, June of 2019, we partnered with RuPaul's Drag Race and we were like, you know, the drag community, um, there's so many things we love about this community and how passionate they are. We did this branded campaign with them and immediately had 500,000 downloads. And that was during that funding round as well. So when I joined in August of 2019, we had 500,000 downloads and we just were like, all right, well, and then um, uh, we started thinking a lot about how do we test, use marketing technology, automated um, flows, 
things like that to then capture people as they come in. Because to grow as essentially a no-name company that has pretty complicated offering compared to like most shopping organizations, we um, still needed to aggressively get really, really, really cheap installs which is a problem for organizations when you don't have automated onboardings, really, really strong branded content and a story to tell. So I I think that like looking at COVID again and how that's affected our user base, we don't really know who we're getting at this point because the economy, the culture is changing. But we do know when they come in, we have a super smart triggered onboarding and um, automated flows to get them to that first purchase. Mm -hmm. And so... With this app being direct to consumer, is that how does that compare with sort of historically for the business? Was was it did it always have an important direct to consumer component to the business, or was it primarily uh, you know a B two B that then uh, you got the consumers via your uh, retail partners? Uh, real interesting. So no, I mean we we only decided to go to consumers maybe three four years ago. So that was after the company had been successful for about a decade, and yeah. So this is where that whole word smooth comes in. Uh, we launched with Snoop Dogg, who was we coronated him as Smooth Dog. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but it, there's it was a real fun. I mean, I wasn't here at the time, but looking at the use case, it's a real fun um, exercise in branding. We took a look at the industry, and at that time, Klarna's logo was blue, and literally every single fintech company fintech company's logo was blue. And we we're like, whoa, okay, okay. So we launched, um, we rebranded everything pink, like you've seen our logo at this point. And, um, and we've made a huge shift. And so I joined last August, of course, and the, we had, I think, 30 people who were doing growth marketing. We're now at 150. And it's just been accelerating because it's, of course, the mentality changes, but we've, we've also operationally made consumer growth a big focus and quickly. So mm-hmm. it's only been a few years. Yeah, no, that's crazy. And so in your in your role, are you primarily focusing then on on the US market or um, you know, and and only on the direct to consumer? Just how how would you scope your role? Well, so if you asked me a month ago, the answer was yes. And now <laughs> well, so we do go through what I would consider forced existential crises and then and to adapt and grow, which I love. It's one of the big draws of the company for me, which stresses other people out, but I'm fine with it. Um, we, so, um, it's, it's been, uh, yeah, I mean, so in terms of like how things are growing and that kind of structure, I, I think that it's the, I just trust our leadership team to make the right decisions and, um, push us forward to the next step. Mm-hmm. And so, so, but, but for your, the scope of your role, yeah, kind of, kind yeah. of day to day, what's, uh, what are your personal success metrics, for example, and, and the areas that you can, uh, affect those success metrics? Yeah, totally. So in that first year it was just focused on the U S and now the team is, uh, w- we went from app growth to now shopping growth and we okay. are um, focused globally on monthly active users, shopping volume and product feature engagement. Whereas prior, okay. the number one thing was installs. Okay. Gotcha. And that makes sense. I mean, I, I think install, you, you're you not going to have monthly active user growth if you don't have the installs. And so part of it is you got to, you got to kind of, uh, you got to build enough pipeline to then try to convert all of those installs into something that, that leads to long-term value for, for customers. 
Yeah, and I see actually similar growth curves when I don't I mean nothing's really aligned to like series A, series B, series C anymore, but in terms of like the over overall valuation and cash in the bank, um I think that we are at a point where it's like okay, we've proven we can really quickly grab market share, but can you maintain it? And when I was at General Assembly, for example, it was kind of a similar story where it was quickly grabbing market share. And then after a funding round, the investors were like, all right, well, can you sustain it? And that's what we want to see, too. And that's what we're hoping you'll do. And that's why the valuation has jumped. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then the um, more generally, your organization, so you, you've said it's it's really in growth marketing, you've moved from that 30 to 150. Um, do you have... Do you have kind of a, a separate kind of brand marketing organization or you know, who else is kind of in, in, in trying? Are there other teams that are also working to, to move the overall growth metrics? Yeah, it's the it's real interesting here. So let's say just rounding, there's 3000 employees. I think that there's something like 400 different teams. Um uh, everything is I call them tactical teams, task forces. I don't really know, but um each team we try to keep to about eight people and they have a very yeah they have a very strong focus so the team i'm part of is part of the growth functionality which is like 150 some people including engineers and brand people and so forth separately we do have a whole and we call them domains um we have a whole domain that's just um the the brand people but it's more than that too it's like brand you have the the regional and the local marketing teams um, and that's also, I don't know. I mean, it, it's smaller than the, the growth, um, domain, but cumulatively it's, it's well over 200 people. Mm-hmm. And what, how was the kind of overall company growth, uh, in, in the year that you've been there? Has there been a lot more people added to the overall company or is it, uh, was it already pretty close to that 3000 when you joined? There are a lot more, but particularly in the U.S. I mean, okay. we we did sign a new office right before COVID uh, that I've never seen. Okay, <laughs> the office we were. I've in, heard that story repeated a few times. <laughs> I bet it's it's crazy. So um, one day we'll move into the office that we uh, that has been built out for us. But the place where like I was sitting before probably comfortably sat like I don't know like thirty people. And um, we we kept trying to get another office and then would already outgrow it by the time we're supposed to move in. Then we got another office. And and so globally, we've probably increased it like in the in the many hundreds. And in the U.S., it's like I don't I am pulling a number out of my butt, but like it really feels like we've had like a 10x employee growth in the U.S. Wow, that's crazy. And then what uh, where, where is your office actually? Where, where are you based? So I'm based in New York City, and we ha- and uh, but we also have our headquarters in the U.S. is actually Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. How how was that decision made? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I just I really don't know. Um, I mean, Columbus is a nice place. I, I've, yeah. I've been there for work, but it, but I could see. I mean, there there could be like really strategic. Like we we want to appeal to middle America, and we don't want to be overly techy and be in one of the tech hubs. Like I, I I could see that being actually a very deliberate decision, or I could see it also being uh, we're moving from Europe and this seems like a good place and maybe not so deliberate. I mean, I, I haven't been told explicitly, but I okay. mean, the other factors there, it's like, it is like a lot cheaper to have a headquarters ar- around that area. It is centrally sure. based. Um, and like Victoria's Secret and I think American Eagle uh, and, okay. and like there's, there's a bunch of those companies that are headquartered there as well. 
Okay. Now that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, as you, as you said, you know, 3000 extending beyond 3000 employees, uh, obviously, obviously, you know, as a, as a company grows, uh, you're going to get more specialized functional groups. And it sounds like, uh, you have a lot of them there. How do you, how do you think about, you know, in, in terms of like that specialization and then at the same time, having everyone pull in the same direction and, and kind of that cross-functional alignment. Do you guys do a lot to try to foster that or is it, uh, is it not really something you spend a lot of time thinking about? I, I mean, I spend my entire day thinking about it. I, if you can imagine if we have 400 different teams, like just getting synced on things takes forever. Um, and honestly, like when I was at IBM Watson, it was a very similar kind of thing because they employed yeah, like diamond teams is similar to like kind of the Spotify tribes so it there's a it, it's very intentional, and I think that's also why uh, when we hire people, it's a very rigorous hiring process, and we we need people who are strong communicators that are friendly while also like just completely getting shit done. So um, the the structure requires a certain kind of person to be successful in it, and I do think we 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 lean on those people to be leaders. Um, otherwise, the whole system could fall apart. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, how, how did you even come across this opportunity, given that it's a relatively low prof- profile company? Had you heard of them before? Did you reach out to them? Did a recruiter reach out to you or just how, how did that even come about? No, it's, I mean, it's so great. So um, an acquaintance and who's like really ha- helped me out in my career, um, he's now CMO at Swell and really wonderful person. So I was um, just kind of like asking him if he knew about any open positions. And his wife um, is a recruiter and was like, oh, we have this thing, uh, Klarna. And I was like, I don't know. I've never heard about it before. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want some fly-by-night operation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I interviewed and I remember I I, I interviewed with um, the VP of marketing operations and our 30 minute chat turned into like almost two hours. And I was like, like, I want to work here. Tell me more. And then as I kept going through the interview process, I eventually met with the CMO and I was like, the way you think is the kind of person I want leading or marketing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's great when you, when you can, can click like that. So, you, you know, you talked about this, this challenge as, as, as you get into these much smaller teams of keeping everybody synced. Have you, do you use a North Star metric at all in, as part of that process? Or do you have, is it more, you know, individual metrics that people are trying to affect and they're not really thinking about a, a centralized metric that brings everybody pulling in the same direction? Yeah, I mean, the one that's supposed to keep us um, pulled together, and I think it does a pretty good job of it, is that uh, the KCN, the Klarna Consumer Network, so the B2B teams, as well as co-marketing and D2C and like all, like say any kind of marketing you want, um, we all do align to that. Um, but then each and then like each group then has KPIs and then each individual team has KPIs and then each individual member, like my team, for example, um, there is an analyst, a product marketer, partnerships, um, email marketer, uh, automation, and all of them have different um, KPIs to affect our total goal. Again, like Mao, shopping volume and so forth. And then that ladders up to um, how well we're converting consumers and retaining them. And then, you know, and then the ladder just keeps going up and up and up. Okay. And do, do you actually have like a, a formal OKR structure with that? Or is it just you know, individual KPIs that ladder up? 
So we don't deploy um, OKRs, which I find really interesting for a company of this size and operating structure. But mm -hmm. um, I would say we kind of do it informally, but it's not a formal structure at all. The way okay. that I've structured my team in particular is we do um, operate on OKRs. And since we have a little more flexibility, since it's not a formal like thing at the company, I try to make the objective a little more like inspirational per se. Right, right. Yeah. That helps uh, for sure. And, and then in terms of actually, you know, you, you talked about that there's a, been a couple of growth hacks and other things that have, have been really effective. And, and it, it sounds like, you know, even just really good product market fit that, and, you know, timing and all the other things that have, have, have put a lot of, uh, a, a lot of tailwinds in the business that have moved it forward. But how much, how much are you using that data to drive testing? Do you guys, do you guys do a lot of, of kind of that, that test learn process to drive improvement across the business? Yeah, we really do. Um, and, and that's not necessarily across the whole business, but from the growth teams, it's just so fundamental for growth to um, have really tight iteration cycles. Cause like we're, we're, the the trouble when I'm doing all of my analyses is that I'm like, all right, well, we know we're doing shopping, so we're competing against like Amazon. And then I'm looking at fintech companies and we see that like Capital One is coming out with um, a buy now, pay later solution. So it's crazy um, competitive. And the one thing that I'm like, you know, if we're going to control our own destiny as a marketing team, we can have tighter, um, we can have tighter iteration cycles. And given the way that this marketing org, org is led, if we put the right data behind the use cases, we can try new things that these other companies probably aren't willing to try. Um, so, I mean, even so, this um, our, our highest amount of daily installs um, has been about 27,000. But um, we tried this new thing out and we hit 175,000 this past Tuesday, which wow. <laughs> got us number one in the shopping category in the app store. And it, it's crazy. So Wow. And, and does that feel like that thing that you tried out is repeatable enough, maybe not to that kind of a spike, but that it can it can have a pretty significant step change in installs? Yeah, I think so too. And all of these things, as we try them out, also slightly shift the overall company culture as well as the mentality around growth too. Which so then it 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 buys us um, some more flexibility and autonomy. And so this was just a simple partnership. I mean, we we have our rewards program, we have a cash back program, we've partnered with organizations like that before. But what we did is we did something like never underestimate the power of an Amazon gift card. That's like what right. I say all the time. <laughs> We so for anyone in the T-Mobile Tuesday app, they drop deals every Tuesday. Um, we bought out ad space on there, and and again, like we are on every other ad channel, and we've been doing this very well testing. But we're like, all right, we'll like, we'll put an ad there, and anyone who um, becomes a new user, so that's a full account creation, will get a five dollar Amazon gift card, and we had one hundred seventy five thousand in one day. And even in addition to that, we have a loyalty program where you get points for shopping. Uh, we had 40,000 people sign up from that too. So it's, yeah, it's, it hit all the metrics. I did not forecast you would do that well. Um, yeah, but that's I'm impossible glad. to forecast what, what, you know, <laughs> especially when, when things uh, have that kind of a, an impact, it you would be reckless to try to forecast that those kinds of numbers. 
Yeah, exactly. And and so there's that. And then for our advertising, we've we've essentially trusted the AIs and the algorithms on all the ad channels a little bit more. I mean, it's not like programmatic per se, but it's more so um, this is where the brand comes in. We have really good brand, uh, a really good branding. And we essentially were like, all right, well, what if we have like, we assume that there's imagery and messaging that is perfect for all all types of consumers and what will hyper target them. And then let's just, so what we did with like Facebook and Instagram, we just threw in like an enormous amount of, of um, assets and imagery and reduced the amount of targeting. Uh, and it's worked really well for us because then it's all based on the initial interactions and then Facebook will use edge rank and the affinity scores and then show it to more people like that. So it's really counterintuitive, especially because like I'm teaching social media right now at NYU and I'm talking okay. about all this targeting and then I'm not yeah, even yeah. doing it myself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so in terms of, in terms of like obviously competing in, in something like uh, Instagram and Facebook though, it just, it requires such deep expertise to outcompete other people in those channels. Is that, have you been really deliberate about building some, some super strong social skills on the team? We have as well. Um, so there's, we've done a, we've essentially leaned into a lot more of this kind of like influencer work, um, especially as like we're trying to get into the older Gen Z, the younger millennials. Um, it, it's a key way to do that. We also didn't want to just um, do the, I guess, what was like the traditional influencer model where they talk about you and that's where the relationship ends. So it's more so like as we do all of these things, um, how do we make kind of a masterpiece of content that can be repurposed? Do we have the right licensing um, for use and paid? Does it affect global? And it's like all these small considerations that do require deep understanding of social and the influencer kind of way to use it. Mm-hmm. And then what, uh, so I guess one other question with that is once you convert new consumers on the product, do you see a lot of word of mouth unlock from those consumers or is it primarily your efforts to acquire that's, that's driving a lot of the growth? Well, we're seeing more word of mouth, but it's, it's still not where I would want it to consider it like viral growth per se. But um, yeah, I mean, we're getting more of it. That's, uh, but in turn, one of the things we do measure is ad recall as well. So we do a lot of these brand studies. Um, over the summer, we had our biggest brand campaign of all time, and our ad recall or like our our brand name recall jumped from twenty six to thirty one, which is pretty big for us. Um, and from there, I'm assuming, and this is from like all the studies I normally read, is that there will be a tipping point, but I don't think we're there yet. Mm-hmm. So in terms of in terms of the brand side of things, do you feel like you need to spend more time in in building that brand and and that brand recall side of things because it is a financial product and and people need a lot more trust there, or is it more of just uh, being top of mind when they have the need for the solution? It, it's for sure both because the one of the primary reasons people decide to like participate in the service is the buy now pay later. But one of the reasons why people decide to stay with the service is the whole shopping thing. Um, we have so many shopping features, um, delivery tracking, so you can authorize your email client and we scrape that for delivery information. So you don't even have to buy using Klarna. We do like wish lists. Um, we do personalized um, shopping lists. Um, we ingest tens of thousands of live deals every day from our affiliates. I mean, we've taken a look at what it means to shop and we've put it all in this app. And that's what 
gets people to stay. And that's one of the reasons why the brand needs to be so strong on the shopping end. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're, you're yeah, kind of almost curating that entire shopping experience so that it, it, it up, up levels all parts of it and integrates it into, into some kind of consistent experience as well. Precisely. A- absolutely. That's great. And then in, in terms of when somebody learns about Klarna to, to the point where they really get it and you know, what we often call like an aha moment or the, the, the point of activation, what do you, what do you feel like they need to get to while you maintain that enthusiasm and intention before they kind of give up and go, what the hell is this thing? Why am I wasting my time? Is, is there a certain point where they, where they kind of get that, that individual tipping point in terms of like, oh my gosh, I really like this. I mean, honestly, that's what keeps me up at night a lot. Um, we're we're doing a very extensive um, study into that right now. We're internally just calling it our UX Touchpoints project, but um, it it ladders it, it builds on top of um, the strategy that we agreed on in January that I took out. Like it's a feather out of my B two B marketing hat, the portfolio marketing, but it's called it Beachheads. And we assume that since like we're kind of a one stop shop for all everything consumer shopping, that there's a reason why someone might come in and it will be different than other people. So I was like, okay, imagine this as like everything that we have is an island and each of our individual product features and USPs is a beachhead to bring people in. So we've done a whole lot of conquesting um, around specifically people who want deals or wish lists or cash back and so forth. And then afterwards, this automation cycle I've been talking about reintroduces that value proposition and then slowly introduces all of the other ones in um, sequence. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So the sticking point is actually different per user. um, It actually reminds me a lot of Dropbox where, you know, if someone was coming in through a shared file, you convert them on that use case. You don't want to introduce too much complexity by trying to sell the whole app, but over time, you're going to create a lot stickier experience once they understand that they can sync between their own devices, set up collaborative folders, that there's there's almost this kind of like sequenced marketing that happens to where ultimately, ultimately you have them forever if you can kind of get them to fully understand what what's uh, available. Oh, yeah. Well, Sean, I think about Dropbox a lot. Um, one of the projects I'm working on is, uh, is gamifying our experiences. And I'm like, OK, well, like how did Dropbox do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. And so speaking of which, like, you know, gamifying uh, referral at Dropbox was was a f- really effective. So we talked about, like, do, do you have the ability to, you know, or do you, do you see that people are unlocking word of mouth once they start using the service? And then have you done anything to uh, accelerate that through, through incentives or prompts or, or anything else? Yeah, it's not where where we want it to be yet for with the technical functionality. So over the summer, we ran a whole bunch of tests, essentially just giveaways. If you refer someone, you have the chance to win X, Y, and Z. Like we gave away um, like a Nintendo Switch, um, a uh, what do we call it? Yeah, the, the Yeti cooler. Things that that appeal to different people. But what we really are trying to push out uh, is the incentivized referrals where it's just like it's automated. Every time that someone you refer successfully creates account, you get X amount of dollars. Um, So that's almost rolled out. And I think that'll make a huge impact for us. That's great. And then you get that trigger point that if if it's automated, they get that uh, 
referral incentive, and then they get a notification that they just got that referral incentive that can often trigger another referral. And that, that could be a pretty powerful loop. Exactly. And then I got a big holiday thing that I'm trying to cook up, um, finishing the brief up right after this. But um, we, again, have like so many shopping functionalities. And one of them is a user generated wish list. And once you do that, you can turn on price drop notifications, people can follow it, there's a social sharing component of this. And um, I want to, I'm putting together a most followed wish list competition. Again, everyone and their mom has done something like this in the past, but we have not. So um, I, I want to make it as easy as possible for people to share by word of mouth and have that mm-hmm. incentivized to win something. Right. Well, yeah. Holiday seems like such a, uh, such a big boost opportunity for you guys. It makes sense. You want to try to try to do as much as you can around that. But even outside the holiday, do you, is there a kind of a typical usage cycle that you see on the product? Um, or is, is, is the goal that, that essentially you become a part of every online, online shopping transaction? Yeah. I mean, the goal is we're part of everything, but I think that what we're seeing is pretty normal for e-com. Um, we, we, we have people who have been inactive that naturally come back for Memorial Day deals, July 4th deals and things like that. Um, but that's where um, we have been trying to grow our key segments more than just like fashion and beauty and stuff work really well. But um, right now we've also been trying to grow like automotive and um, home, like luxury home goods and things like that. So um, we can hit actually multiple shopping cycles Um, because technology is great, but it it doesn't it's not like fast fashion where people are coming back and getting sticky. Um, So we're attacking this from multiple um, consumer segments. Wow. I mean, this, when, when, as you talk about it, I, I think there's so many, so many use cases you can onboard people into, which is, it creates all these additional marketing opportunities, you know, I- including via the merchants and, and then the direct to consumer activities. Um, I, I, it does seem like a, uh, a, a fantastic growth role opportunity. And the fact that you guys have grown so much from that 30 to 150, I assume you're still in that growth mode. So is that if, if there's any listeners out there that are excited about what you're wanting, what you're doing and when they want to jump on board, is it something that you're doing additionally with hiring in that area? Yeah. So reach out to me, please do. There, um, we're, it's like we're hiring all over the world right now and hiring uh-huh. a lot of marketers, especially going into 2021. But uh, the big question that we've been trying to solve and plan for for 2021 is so like we, we literally 10 X our growth in 2020. And the goal then is how do we 10 X this? Um, and it requires it, it requires more people, of course, but then like people who think like that. Right, right, right. That are that are not so incremental in what they're trying to do, but they're they're looking for those big step change opportunities and have the the creative capacity to even dream them up and then the execution chops to uh, to, to to test them and not everything's going to work out. But when it does, it it, it continues those crazy growth rates that you're talking about. I don't, I assume when you say you've 10 X in 2020 that you don't mean on the overall business, you mean probably more the U S side. Or oh yeah. The overall? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, I, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is, has just been U S and yeah, like yeah. the hyper growth here. Yeah. No. Okay. So, um, just, just to clarify on that. So, uh, and then, Thank you. 
Yeah, no, no worries. I mean, I, I love the variety of of roles. I think you you said you were at IBM right before this, and and as as we've talked about, you know, some of the other roles that you've had. Um, when if you just take kind of what you've learned in the last year since you've been there, is there anything that stands out as like a really kind of game changing learning that you that you've done that you can share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, I know I, I thought about that. I've been thinking about this a lot because it greatly affects my life and happiness. But it sounds fluffy, but it really is just the internal mentality and having a growth mentality. I like a growth mentality. Um, and uh, it, it's like I, I've been at a ginormous corporation that does not share this mentality. And you, you see the resulting work and you see the yep. resulting. Yeah. And, and it's again, like not, I'm really not trying to knock corporations um, because their goals are just so different, but like with what I want to do with my career and like how much I love taking things from like not that much to a lot. Um, it's like, I just need to be surrounded by people who not only are willing to take risks, but do it in a very calculated way. Yep. No, and I think what you're saying there is that you know it, culture is a huge part of success and growth. If if the business doesn't have that culture, it's going to be really hard to be successful in growth. You're going to have a lot more people kind of uh, almost like slapping your wrist, saying, "Hey, calm down, don't 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 break it." And you know, and and culture. I think for a lot of the corporations that have been around for a really long time, changing culture is it's like changing the culture of a country. It just, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow, painful process and, and growth is a culture. And so, um, the fact that, you know, you have a business that's been, what is it? 15 years that, that the company's been around. Yeah, seriously. I, I can't even imagine what it was like 15 years ago, but we, I think we've been profitable since the first year. That's great. I mean, so, so it sounds like that it's been, it's built up around that culture and clearly starting out of Sweden, you have things like Spotify that have also started out of Sweden that have an amazing growth culture. And so, you know, it could be something that just, uh, you know, their, their national culture is, is a little bit more wired to, to be able to do this. But, um, you know, as, as you've had all of the international expansion, it's, it's great that that's continued to go. And I'm not surprised that you're, um, seeing the benefits of that because, you know, that, that's one of the biggest, uh, areas of feedback that I've had on my book is that people read it, they get really excited about you know, growth and testing and, and metrics and all these things. And then they hit the friction of an organization that doesn't think that same way and they get really frustrated. And so you know, half, half the battle is you know, picking the right organization. And then if, if you're not in an organization that already has it, having a game plan for trying to evolve the organization. Um, and, and again, if you're a 100-year-old company, it's going to be pretty hard to evolve the, the organizational culture. But if you're, I've, I've seen it in companies of five people that don't have the culture and it's still not easy to make that change. So the earlier you do it, the better. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. Well, you know, when I, when I, my key takeaways, as I, as I look at this, um, you know, overall the success that you've had, particularly in, in the U S in the last year. Yeah. It, it does feel like just a, a, a great story of product market fit to, to some degree, but then, but then just that, that very data-driven, test-driven across all parts of that customer journey that you, yeah, it, 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 it's execution meets product market fit driven by data, um, you know, kind of the classic story of a, of a breakout growth company. So good job on finding the right opportunity and making the most of it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, advice to anyone who's like, 
I don't know, like even if you only have a few years under under your belt, um, like be really picky when you interview and find the place where you are interviewing with like minded individuals. It, it just takes you so much farther. Absolutely. You know, I, I think for for marketing and growth success, <laughs> chemistry with the overall team and then, you know, right product, right market is 80% of your success. And the last 20% is what keeps you in great roles. And so you got to make the most of it. But uh, if you if you put yourself in trying to grow a product that nobody wants in a market that's not great, and you don't have the right team around you, you're going to fail every time. So I totally agree with what you just said. Be patient and find the right opportunity. So, well, thank you, John. Thanks for so much for, for everything that you've shared uh, today and uh, really appreciate it. And for everyone who's tuned in, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. Until next week.